Well, good morning, Crossroads. My name is Dustin, and it's great to be with you today for what is a momentous day, the first Sunday of 2022. Can we get excited about the new year? That's right. (laughs) Happy New Year from your Crossroads family. We are excited about today. Just want to give a couple shout-outs as we begin. First of all, our online people. Can we give it up for our people joining us online? We love you. We're with you. We're glad you are with us today. And of course, we can't forget about our Goshen campus. You brave the snow. Give it up for yourselves, everybody. You are here. And then our St. Pete people down in Florida, give it up for them a little bit. That's okay. If you don't know, people in Florida, snow, it falls from the sky. It's white. It's cold. It ruins everyone's plans. Yeah, but it's happening here today in Goshen. And of course, last but not least, my people, can we give it up for the Mishawaka campus? Let's make some noise. Oh, we love you. uh, And we're so glad uh, that you have joined us Today, as we kick off a new series, as Pastor Tim mentioned earlier, uh, we believe the best way to start off 2022, which we believe is going to be an amazing year at Crossroads, and all of you are a part of it, but as we kick off the year, uh, we want to be challenged to have a deeper and more meaningful prayer life. We want to have a deep connection with God, and as we pray, we want to just experience Him. And so we're diving into a series called Dangerous Prayers. And if you're like me, that's kind of an interesting couple of words put together because uh, growing up uh, in church, uh, when we prayed, a lot of the prayers we prayed were centered around safety. Uh, Even I remember as a a kid, um, we would go on long trips. Every time we went on a road trip, my parents would stop the car in the driveway. We would pause to say a prayer. And almost every time, whatever parent was praying, they would pray for this thing called traveling mercies. Right? Maybe you've heard of it before. I don't know what mercies are, but I do know they only apply exclusively to traveling because... (laughs) Uh, every time I got in trouble, I would try to pray for punishment mercies, but that didn't seem, uh, didn't seem to work out so much. Uh, you know, I remember at, at going to prayer meetings at church or, or gatherings, almost every time someone would stand up and pray for this mysterious thing called the hedge of protection. I don't know if you've heard of that before. I have no idea what a hedge of protection is, but people pray for it all the time, right? Is this some sort of like mysterious foliage that you can jump into, right? Special shrubbery, you know, that keeps you protected. It's like, hey, I am safe today. You can say whatever you want because I have a hedge of protection around me. Like, I'm good. Uh, Maybe this is like the original social distancing, right? Like, stay away from me. I've got a hedge of protection, so I'm fine. My, 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 favorite, my favorite one, though, is at mealtime, because I love mealtime. Uh, and if you ever went to a house, you know, you'd uh, be served a meal. The prayer before a meal was always like, God, please bless this food, this giant three patties cheeseburger with six slices of bacon and extra mayonnaise. Please bless this food to our bodies, right? Make sure all the blessing from the food enters our body. But and you knew you're an upstanding household if uh, that also, uh, they also tacked onto the prayer and thank you for the hands that prepared it, right? Like we want the blessing for our whole bodies, but we're just thanking the hands, right? That's what, that's what's happening. Like these are the kind of prayers I grew up praying. Of course, I'm mocking, I'm mocking it. And, and truthfully, I think there is something incredibly meaningful and beautiful about these types of uh, daily monotonous prayers, 
right? Where, where praying becomes so ingrained in your life that you're, you're praying before meals and before you, you, you go in to do something important or anytime you need sort of some sort of extra protection or anytime you're praying, there, there is something special and meaningful about these kind of prayers. But, but often I think if that's the only way we pray, we begin to, to miss out on something. And when we talk about dangerous prayers, it's interesting because those types of prayers are the farthest thing from dangerous. They're safe, predictable, nice, cute prayers. But the truth is any type of prayer really is dangerous. Prayer itself is inherently dangerous. And, and sometimes maybe you're someone who struggles to pray because you're not sure how to talk to a God you can't see. Or maybe you've prayed a bunch of times in your life before and it feels like maybe God doesn't quite answer your prayers. Or maybe your prayers don't seem to travel much farther than the, than the ceiling. I think praying can be a dangerous endeavor. And a lot of times we, we give up on prayer or our prayer life turns stale. And maybe today you're just wanting to know what it even means for you to pray. Or maybe you've been burned by some prayers you felt like God didn't hear and you're wondering why God doesn't hear your prayers. Or maybe you're like me, and, and it's so easy in your faith journey to just get stuck in this routine of praying for hedges of protection and traveling mercies and all these, these normal routine things. I think it's important for us because I, I believe this, the way that we pray reflects the God we believe in. And if we pray simple, small, nice, cute prayers, it's almost as if we're, we're believing that God is Simple and nice, safe and cute. And the God we're singing about and worshiping and praising today is not small. The God we worship breathes and speaks life into all existence. He says a word and galaxies are made. God is big. And I often wonder if sometimes he doesn't hear our prayers. And for sure he hears our prayers. But I wonder if when he hears them he's just shaking his head. Is that it? Is that all you're praying for? The way we pray reflects the God we believe in. And if you're like me, a lot of my prayers are about my own safety, my own protection, my own level of comfort. And, and the truth is this, another truth we want to lean into during the series is that following Jesus was never meant to be safe. And so dangerous prayers shouldn't seem that uncommon because this is the way it's designed to be from the beginning. And if we're looking for following Jesus to be safe, then we might end up disappointed because it was never meant to be safe. And so for the next couple of weeks, we are going to pray some very dangerous prayers. And I believe we will all be challenged. And I invite you, you got to keep coming back throughout this series. you got to invite some friends. Because I think God wants to challenge all of us with some dangerous prayers. We're going to pray the prayer that says, search me, God. And that's going to be dangerous next week. Then we're going we're gonna to pray a prayer that says, break me, God. Break my heart for what breaks yours. Then we're going to pray, say, send me, God. These are dangerous prayers. And I'm excited about what God is going to do in our lives as we lean into some of these dangerous prayers. As we kick off the series today, I wanted to, to take a look at, at an incredibly dangerous prayer uh, said by people who understood that faith in Jesus was not meant to be safe. It's found in the book of Acts, and it takes place with two main characters in the New Testament, Peter and John. And see, Peter and John were some of the followers that they had been with Jesus and they helped birth the church. And in Acts chapter 2, you see the Holy Spirit come and, and a great movement of God is beginning. Thousands of people are added to the movement we would 
one day call the church. The same movement we're participating in today. And see, the next chapter, Acts chapter 3, Peter and John are on their, day, on their way to a normal, mundane prayer meeting, and they encounter an outsider, and in this moment, he becomes healed because of the work of Jesus through Peter and John, through the church. And a dance party erupts inside the temple. It was supposed to be a nice, easy prayer meeting, and now there's a party. The, the crippled guy is dancing, and in that moment, Peter seizes an opportunity, and he gets up and he preaches the truth about Jesus. He says, the reason this man is healed is because Jesus takes broken things and he makes them healed. He takes things that were in bondage and he sets them free. This is who Jesus is, Peter says. And it even says many people in that room shook their heads because they thought these guys were crazy. Like, who are these guys stepping out in crazy boldness talking about a guy that we had just killed? But scripture also says that many more people were added to the believers in that day. People found hope and freedom because Peter and John were bold and stepped out and told somebody about Jesus. See, the, the temple authorities couldn't stand by and just watch a party erupt in what was supposed to be a contemplative prayer meeting. And so after a while, the, the temple guards come up and they grab John and Peter and they throw them in jail for the night. They shut the party down. And in the morning, there's a gathering of a council of very important leaders. In fact, the high priest is there. All the high priests, second in command, are there. Some of the very people on this council are the people who helped put Jesus to death. Caiaphas is there. It's an incredibly important gathering, a huge council of men. And all of these men represent the power brokers in society. If you want to get anything done, you've got to go stand in front of this council of religious leaders. And Peter and John are drugged out of jail and they're thrown in front of this council. And the encounter we see today happens in Acts chapter 4. And it follows that encounter. And it starts like this in verse 7. And the council asks, says this, They brought in the two disciples and demanded, By what power or in whose name have you done this? Translation, who do you think you are? This isn't your place to have free one. You can't do whatever you want to do. What do you think you're doing? Why, how in the world do you think you could do this without asking us for permission? Who do you think you are? And listen, if I'm Peter and John, my, day, uh, my last couple days has been pretty crazy. Right? I've been pretty bold. First of all, we helped heal a guy. That's crazy. And then we started a party in the temple. That's crazy. And then Peter stood up and started to preach. That was pretty bold. If the, the powers that be talk to me like this, I'm going to simply say, I'm sorry we offended you, and go home and feel pretty good about myself. Right? That's what I would do. That's how I'm wired. That's not how Peter and John responded. And in fact, in verse 10, they say this. Let me clearly state to all of you and to all the people of Israel that he was healed by the powerful name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, the man you crucified but whom God raised from the dead. See, Peter and John speak out in boldness, and they don't seem to be intimidated at all by this show of force from the council Peter and John are willing to step out. They don't care. In fact, later in this encounter, Peter says, do you think we care about your opinion more than we care about the opinion of God? You see, their faith had brought them to this point. And because their faith in Jesus was bigger than any fear they had about what these guys could do to them, they spoke in even greater boldness. Verse 13 
the council responds, it says this. The members of the council were amazed when they saw the boldness of Peter and John. For they could see that they were ordinary men with no special training in the scriptures. Right? You just imagine like all of their mouths are wide open like jaws on the floor. Because typically when someone sits in front of this council, they're begging for forgiveness. Because they know they have the power over life and death. And if they're not begging for forgiveness, they're pandering, right? They want something from them, and so they're giving gifts, and they're showering praise, and they're just on their hands and knees saying, please spare me or please help me. That's typically how these meetings go with the council. But Peter and John didn't go that way. And it says that they're just ordinary men. Now, the Greek word for ordinary men is idiotes, which you don't have to be a Greek scholar to understand what they're saying, who are these idiots right, who, who think they can stand before us? They're just normal guys. They have no special training. They don't come from good families. They don't come from good homes. They don't come from money. They haven't put in their dues to earn the position that they think they're having. They're messing things up. They're breaking the system. And, and see, in this moment, Peter and John were, were in a dangerous position. Right, because I, I, would, I would bet that every single one of the people on the council wanted to put an end to these two guys. That they they did, couldn't stand the smugness or the boldness that they saw in the believers of Jesus. And many of the men in this council would have helped put Jesus to death. And so they're just like, they know that's, that's on the table. See, their faith was dangerous. Their faith in Jesus didn't lead them to a safe, comfortable room. In fact, they were often pushed out of that comfortable room by Jesus to be doing this very thing they're doing. Their faith was dangerous. Now, when they encounter this council, they're told to shut up, basically. Uh, the council roughs them up a little bit, and they say, quit speaking about Jesus. Because the truth is this, uh, the, the council, the only thing they cared more than being the guys in charge and looking good was their image. They cared about their image, and they knew they couldn't possibly put Peter and John to death because there'd be a riot on their hands. And so they rough them up, and they threaten them, and they say, stop talking about Jesus or else. And they send them on their way. So Peter and John, they go back to their community of people that they have found connected to and connection with, their family and so, so they, they, they started a prayer gathering. And now in this prayer gathering, they begin to pray, and we, we see the dangerous prayer I'm talking about. And listen, if I'm the one planning this prayer gathering, I know what my prayers are going to be. God, please protect us from the bad guys. God, please give us wisdom to know how to work around the council. God, open some doors so we can go into some new places. God, change the hearts of the guys in power. God, give us a hedge of protection from the bad guys. This is the type of prayer I would pray, and I think it sounds pretty good. But that's not the prayer meeting that Peter and John in the early church had. In fact, in verse 29, they, they pray a very dangerous prayer. They say, And now, O Lord, hear their threats. And give us, your servants, great boldness in preaching your word. They pray for more boldness. <laughs> I think they've got plenty. 
but they pray for more. God, help us do more bold things than we just did. Give us more of that so that we can tell people about you, so that we can help other outsiders get connected to you. God, give us more boldness. And if you're like me, that prayer sounds incredibly dangerous and incredibly foreign. Because see, we love safe prayers. We love praying prayers about our comfort, and I don't think there's anything inherently wrong with that. But we love to pray these cute, predictable, safe prayers. But I think in this moment we recognize this, that God honors dangerous prayers. God hears dangerous prayers. And even more than that, I think dangerous prayers honor God. Dangerous prayers put a faith in God that says, God, I believe you are bigger than the circumstance I face. God, I'm putting my trust in you, not in the trust of a council of men. God, I'm going to care about your opinion. I want to honor you. I don't want to honor the world. I don't want to honor Facebook. I don't want to honor social media. I want to honor you. God honors dangerous prayers, and dangerous prayers honor God. And as you read that dangerous prayer, and we're going to continue to be challenged by more dangerous prayers, I want to just take a second to help us wrap our mind around what that means for us. What does that mean for us to begin to pray dangerous prayers? Number one is this. Dangerous prayers will disrupt your plans. Right? We hate, at least I hate, when my plans get disrupted. This morning, I walked outside, I saw snow, and I was like, No! I didn't want that much snow on the ground, right? You're ruining my plans. It's a disruption. Nobody likes disruption. In fact, there's a story in the Old Testament. It's actually the key story of the Old Testament. It's the story the, the, the Scripture wants you to know to get a picture of who God is, and it takes place in Exodus. And see, uh, in, in Exodus, God's people were in Israel, and they had been for 400 years. And they had been praying a, a prayer over and over and over again. God, hear us. Save us from slavery. Save us from the oppression. This isn't the way we want to live. And you would imagine year after year, people would have continued to feel like maybe God doesn't hear our prayers anymore. But they kept praying. And then walks in the character Moses, and he walks in in a great story, and God leads his people out of slavery into freedom, crosses, literally walks on dry land, splits the sea in half, right, and they walk into freedom. Right? And as they're walking into freedom, all these people saw God do an amazing thing. They're experiencing God's work firsthand. And they're walking in the wilderness. And it doesn't take long for God's people to start to notice that things aren't as comfortable as they hoped it would be. As they wandered the wilderness, it seemed more like a disruption than freedom. It was hard. They had to wait for food to show up from heaven, and every day they, they didn't really know if it would show up, and, and, and it didn't take long for them to begin to complain. In fact, in Exodus uh, chapter 16, verse 3, it says this, if only the Lord had killed us back in Egypt, they moaned. There we sat around pots filled with meat and ate all the bread we wanted, but now you have brought us into the wilderness to starve us to death. So we get a, a glimpse into the human condition here. It's really easy for us to want to trade our freedom for a little bit of comfort. Right? We, we, they wanted to trade this newfound experience of God, to trade it back. And hey, I'd rather go back to slavery because it was predictable and we had meat and it wasn't uncomfortable. 
See, had they jumped ship on what God was doing, they would have missed out on first the wilderness because God loves to use disruption. He used the wilderness to reveal himself to his people. And it was all part of the plan to take them to the promised land where God's promise was fulfilled. And if they would have jumped ship for some comforts, they would have missed out on what God was doing in their life. See, God loves to use disruption in our life to reveal more of himself to us. And so often, we just want to get rid of disruption, move on, move away from what's disrupting our life. I remember the first time I brought uh, my first son, Davis, home from the hospital, right? He, he was born, and he was healthy, and we were ready to bring him home a couple days later. Uh, and, and that first night, my parents, we lived in a small house. They were in the room across from us, and he just started crying all night, right? It, I was not expecting this. It was crazy. It was a disruption. It was uncomfortable. And I remember Corey and I, my wife and I, we were stressed out. We were kind of both jerks to each other, right? And we laid Davis on the bed. He just was screaming, and I just thought, man... This is forever now, <laughs> right? Like, it's not going to stop. Like, I had this realization, like, this isn't like a weekend trip. This kid is mine. Like, it's my responsibility to keep him safe. Man, talk about a disruption. Any parents in here agree? Parent, or kids are a disruption. Amen. <laughs> but listen, I wouldn't, I wouldn't trade that disruption for the world. And truthfully, God revealed himself to me through my son, and he revealed a little bit more of myself as I walked through the disruption of being a parent. Here's the reality. Many of us want to get out of the disruption as fast as we can. And when we do so, we miss how God wants to reveal himself to us. My question for you is this. Are you praying for comfort? Here's the deal. Praying for comfort isn't bad in and of itself. It's good. God cares about what you care about. But if all your prayers are just about more comfort for you, if all your prayers about getting rid of disruption, I'm, I'm afraid we might be missing God himself trying to reveal himself to us. Maybe it's time to welcome a little disruption. The disruption of showing up on a Sunday morning to serve when you'd rather sleep in. The disruption of starting a prayer habit where you actually pray and read your Bible every day. The disruption of allowing God into your life even though it requires sacrifice. If we skip over disruption, we just might miss the promised land. Are you praying for comfort? Maybe it's time to let disruption in your life. Number two is this. Dangerous prayers will disturb you. That's not a word we throw around at church very much. You know, how was, how was church today? It was disturbing, right? Thanks, Dustin. But dangerous prayers will disturb you. You know, the truth is disturbance can actually be a catalyst for change, and it often is. In fact, I remember uh, not too long ago, uh, my, my oldest brother was getting married uh, and so we all got the family together, and I remember I, f I was living in Oklahoma. I flew across the country to be uh, in Ohio with my brother. I got all fancy dressed, and I was feeling pretty good. In fact, I walked by a mirror one time and did a double take, you know. I was like, that's me? Okay, all right. And I was feeling pretty good. Uh, so I stood on stage, and the wedding went fine, and the party was fun. I had a great time with my family. We did the pictures, the whole thing. I remember getting back home, and, and I was excited when the pictures were finally released on Facebook, and you could scroll through the pictures, and I, I stumbled across one picture. It was a family picture, and there I was sitting there, had this goofy smile, and to be honest, looking at myself was disturbing, right? I had, I had apparently, no one told me, I had apparently gained a lot of weight. I looked out of shape. I didn't look good. I don't know what that mirror was showing me when I walked by in Ohio, 
but it wasn't that. And truthfully, I, it was real. Like, I, I, I was like, is that how people see me? Because it didn't match how I saw myself. And it truthfully, it, it disturbed me. And it was in that moment I was like, that's it. I'm starting to work out. I actually, true, true story, I haven't really had any pop since that moment, right? That's the moment I stopped drinking pop and I, I started working out. And like in two months, I lost 30 pounds, which I have slowly put back on since then. But still, <laughs> that disturbing picture of myself was a catalyst for change in my life. Right? And we love to just skip over the disturbance. We don't like to feel that. You know, there's a moment in the story of the Gospels where Jesus is walking through an incredibly disturbing moment. He knows he's on his way to the cross, and he knows it's not just the physical pain he's about to carry. He knows the weight he's about to carry. And he gets on his knees, and he says an incredibly dangerous prayer I want to lean into here. This is the way Jesus prayed, and he's, 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 he's in pain. He's sweating blood. Right? And he's disturbed because he knows what's about to happen to him. And this is the prayer he prays in Luke twenty-two forty-two. He says, Father, if you are willing, please take this cup of suffering from me. If there's any other way, God, take it away. But I want your will to be done, not mine. It's a dangerous prayer. It's a prayer of complete self-sacrifice. It's a prayer of putting God's desires over our own desires. It's, it's a selfless prayer. And here's the reality. A lot of the times we pray, if, if I'm being honest about myself, a lot of the times I pray, it's about incredibly selfish things. It's about what I'm going through, what I'm experiencing, what I'm seeing. So the question is, is, is this, are you praying selfishly? Now, I don't mean, like, it's not bad to pray for yourself. God cares about you. He cares about your problems. He cares about your family. He cares about what you're going through. But if all of our prayers are just wrapped around ourselves, it might be time for us to be disturbed, be disturbed out of that pattern. Are you praying selfishly? The prayers of Jesus always lay ourselves down. I think one good way to ask this question is to give yourself a prayer audit. If you were to look at all the sum of your prayers in the last week, months, years, and if all of those things, if God looked at that and, and all of those things came into reality, what would change in the world? Would you have a nicer house, car, fancier clothes, maybe better relationships? Would anything in the world change? Would more people know Jesus? Would more people be influenced for good? Would God have used you to do anything big out of your comfort zone? It's easy to fall into a trap of praying selfishly. And finally, number three, dangerous prayers will deepen your faith. See, if, if we settle for just shallow prayers, I think we end up experiencing a faith that's less than what we're designed for. You know, a couple of years ago, actually more than a couple now, I suppose, I was in college, uh, and I had this random thought. I saw a piranha on TV or something, and I thought, wouldn't it be awesome to have a piranha and, like, feed it other fish and maybe, like, squirrels or something? Like, wouldn't that be awesome to have a piranha? So I went to the pet store. I was determined to acquire a piranha. And so I walked in, and I was like, I'll have one piranha, please. And they were like, you're an idiot, right? They didn't use the Greek word this time. They just called it in English. I was offended. So we don't sell piranhas, 
but we do have something that eats other fish. And I was like, yes! So we walked, and we, I found this fish. It was about the size of a golf ball, and it was called a red-bellied paku. But I didn't know. It looked like a piranha to me, and I said, yes, I'll take it. It was like two bucks. I named it Piranacon because... Why not? That's an awesome name, to be honest. You're impressed, I know. Uh, so me and Piranacon, I got a couple of guppies so he could eat it and I could watch. It was going to be great. I took it to my apartment, set up the tank, and I was excited about having my own red-bellied paku. You know, shortly after that, I went on winter break, uh, and so I left my fish there. You can't travel with a fish, apparently, right? So I left my roommate in charge of my fish, and I went on a, a Christmas vacation with my family. And while we were there, we visited an aquarium. And they had one of those big tanks and a bunch of fish are swimming around. And I saw this giant fish. It looked like a huge piranha. It seriously was like the size of a small car. And I was like, that fish is awesome. It had huge fangs. And I was just hoping it would eat one of the other fish. Like that's what I was excited for. And then I looked down the label and it said, I kid you not, red-bellied paku. And I was like, that could be piranha cod. I could have a fish the size of a car. And so I went home, and I was excited to start feeding my fish more guppies, and I walked in the door, and my roommate had left without telling me, and he left the window open, and Piranacon froze to death. True story. True story. You didn't think I was going that way, did you? Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, but I, I think we can learn something from that. The truth is, Piranacon would have never gotten bigger than the tank he was swimming in. Because those kind of fish, they grow into their environment, and, and that, that, that tank in the aquarium was huge, and so Piranacon could grow huge, and I think the same thing is for our faith, and if we're living in a shallow, we're praying shallow prayers, and, and we're not letting ourselves be challenged in our faith, we're going to just have a small aquarium, small fish faith. I mean, that's easily killed. That's easily questioned. It's easily destroyed. And often we settle for this shallow faith. And many of us who have been followers of Jesus for a long time have been swimming in a small aquarium because we're not ready to be used by God for something bigger. We haven't prayed dangerous prayers. I think if we want our faith to grow, we got to get a bigger aquarium. And that starts with praying dangerous prayers. Are you settling for shallow? Are you settling for a shallow faith? Are you settling for shallow prayers? Are, are, are you settling for a shallow experience of God? Because we believe that God has great things for us. In fact, here's the truth. We want you to hold on to this. Jesus is not inviting us to live a life of safety. He's not. If you expect a life of safety from saying yes to Jesus, that's not the point. I hope things don't go crazy in your life, but it, that's not our experience. And so if you've said yes to Jesus and things didn't get more comfortable, don't be surprised because Jesus isn't inviting us to a life of safety. But what he is inviting us to do is a life of significance. In fact, when Peter and John prayed that dangerous prayer to be more bold, God answered it and they were more bold. And they helped carry the message of Jesus to thousands of people to the point where they were killed for it in different terrible ways. So they didn't live a life of safety. They had lots of problems and challenges they had to overcome, but they did live a life of significance. And those two are some of the most influential people in the entire human history because they prayed some dangerous prayers. Jesus isn't inviting us to a life of safety. He's inviting us to a life of significance. My last question for us today is, is this. How dangerous are your prayers? See, for, for many of you, just any prayer would be dangerous. And my invitation uh, to you is just maybe, maybe today is the day you decide to start praying. 
Maybe for the first time you go home and you look at that double cheeseburger and you say, God, bless this food to my body. And that could be dangerous because you're connecting with a God you can't see. Maybe that's your step today. Maybe for you, you've been angry at God because he hasn't answered your prayers. And maybe you're carrying some pretty big prayers right now. And you're not really sure if God will answer. Maybe for you, it's just being honest with God. Crying out to God. Doesn't matter what words you say. Doesn't have to be difficult. In fact, some of the most dangerous prayers are simple. Maybe it's just a, a prayer of surrender. Maybe for others, today is about getting out of the rut of praying simple monotonous prayers. And if you're honest with yourself, you haven't been dis- disturbed, you haven't been disrupted, and you're swimming in a small tank, maybe that's your faith today. And you take a step of faith. Now, we're going to have a chance to pray the most dangerous prayer, and this is the final group I want to talk to. This is the, the prayer to say yes to Jesus. And this isn't a prayer to invite a life of safety, but it is a prayer that will invite a life of significance. And it's the only way to experience true hope in life is to say yes to Jesus. And we have a chance to do that right now. And as we pray this prayer, I invite you to pray that prayer with me. And if you pray it and you mean it, God enters your life and you have new life. Can we get excited about new life this morning, church? So let's pray this prayer together. It says this, Jesus, I need you. I believe you are the savior of the world, that you gave your life to forgive my sins, and that God raised you from the grave so that I could have eternal life. Thank you for loving me. I am saying yes to you, Jesus. Come into my life. I will follow you. Amen. Amen. Now here's the deal, if you said yes to Jesus today and you meant it in your heart, you are a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. And the truth is we can't live faith alone. You gotta get connected to somebody and across all of our campuses online, there are ways for you to get connected. Find a pastor, we have a yes to Jesus packet for you. Don't leave here if you wanna experience the real Jesus, don't leave here without getting connected to somebody. The truth is wherever you are, we all have a step to take towards dangerous prayers. May we take it today in boldness. Jesus, thank you for how you've worked through your story. Thank you for inviting us to a life of significance, a life that truly matters, a life of real hope. And God, we are so sorry for the times where you've showed us freedom and we just wished for more comfort. God, we're so sorry on the times we've missed out on you because we've just been more comfortable praying dangerous prayers or safe prayers. God, remind us how big you are in these moments. In your name we pray. Amen.